Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 150, where we interview Christina Lividary and hear how she went from homeless to certified financial planner on her way to financial independence. I like spreading everything out, and I just want the highest probability to reach my highest goals. And how you do that is you stay diversified, you don't pay a lot of fees, and you minimize taxes. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen. And with me as always is my amazing co-host, Scott Trench. Oh, that was a corny intro, but we didn't coordinate at all, Mindy. (laughs) (laughs) Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else, and show you that by following the proven path, you can put yourself on the road to early financial freedom and get money out of the way so you can lead your best life. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate or start your own business, or just go and buy that first home that's really important to you, we'll help you build a position capable of launching yourself towards those dreams. Scott, I am super excited to have Christina on the show today because she came from a fairly tough background and had to work really hard to get where she is today. And, you know, there's a lot of people who start off with a position of weakness and are able to push themselves forward, really pull themselves up by their bootstraps. And everything that Christina has is because of her hard work, which just makes it even more valuable, in my opinion. Yeah, you can tell that she's just a really special person, you know, division one athlete with college scholarship, you know, went to really, really good school there, really high income earner, learned lots of painful financial lessons. And is really seems to, it all seems to be coming together here, but it's just amazing to see what she's been capable of doing over the course of her career. And you have no doubt that she's going to be very successful with her new business and uh, off to the races towards FI uh, in a big way over the next couple of years. Yeah, I'm super excited for what's coming up for Christina. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms of each credit card issuer apply. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Christina Lividary from Mana Financial Life Design. Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I'm so excited to have you with us today. Thank you both for having me. I first met Christina at the Mama's Talk Money Summit, and the 
talk that you gave was just so inspiring. I was super excited to be able to get you on the show today. Um, Let's talk about your money journey because it hasn't always been super smooth and roses. And I think that's where you learn the most is from people who have experiences that kind of sucked, frankly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, spoiler alert. (laughs) Thank you for putting it bluntly. No, I mean, I think that that's a big part of, of my money journey is my story around money. And it starts from a very early age. When I was just seven years old, I immigrated here from the Philippines. And I was within about nine months of being in the Philippines or being in the United States, rather, my biological father took off and took with him our security and stability. And he fled to his home country of Venezuela. And so he left my mom, my sister and I alone in this foreign country you know, not really being able to speak speak English and um, just really without a, and also undocumented. So it was a very tough few years. And so for the first few years of our life here, we were living homeless and out of cheap motels. And so uh, that was really the beginning of my money journey. So, you know, for the first few years, it was, it was fraught with instability, moving around. Um, but luckily, my mom ended up, you know, finding um, a, a great job because she also happened to be an executive chef. So she was able to, to get some stability. She found her now husband, my stepfather. And throughout my teenage years, I was able to work hard at school. And I was able to also get a scholarship to play water polo at Bucknell University, where I went to school. And so I went to college. I I went to the East Coast, a completely strange and foreign land for me. And three years into my college water polo career, I tore my rotator cuff, which meant that I lost my scholarship. And I had these big dreams to become an international litigator at the International Criminal Court and and to change the world and, and to fight the good fight. But unfortunately, I looked up the cost of law school and I realized that after I graduated from undergrad, I'd have $100,000 of student loan debt. That's what private liberal arts colleges cost back in 2006. So I had to, to face the reality that for, you know, starting June of when I graduated, I owed my student loans $1,000 a month. Going back here a second, you, you tore your rotator cuff your third year in college? The beginning college? of my junior year. Yeah. Oh, and so your, your scholarship got revoked for that year? Correct. Mm, yeah, because we seems... were a spring. We were a spring uh, sport, and so fall was when I tore it. Oh, geez. Yeah. Okay, so so then Great you had to, so you took on the two years of student loan debt, which equated to about a hundred thousand at um, expensive. Correct. Okay, and, and during that period where you were, where this was coming, did you you know while you were in college here, did you work or how did you sustain other lifestyle expenses outside of the the cost of education there? Great question. So I did work study. And so, you know, my, my parents still, you know, they're restaurant owners. So, you know, very, very middle class. And so I definitely needed to find some pocket change any way I could. And so I did apply for the work study program when I was at school. And so I w- went to school, played water polo, and then I actually uh, worked at a uh, senior center in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. Awesome. I I love that. That, I think that's a great creative option. And a lot of those work-study programs, I don't know about yours, uh, allow you to actually just work on homework for most of the time, you know, depending on it. Like sometimes you're supervising the the library or whatever. It can can depend on those types of things. Yeah, I definitely did work, but I also would help. I I also like did fun activities with with the seniors in there. It was awesome. Well, great. So, okay. So you graduate in this position of $100,000 in debt. It sounds like you didn't accumulate a lot of other personal debts like credit card debt, or was there anything else that was layered in there? No, thankfully that was all the debt for the time being. Um, But one thing I talk about was kind of the lack of financial knowledge and literacy. So my parents were able to to send me a couple hundred dollars a month to eat, you know, and (laughs) uh, that's about it. But I definitely had Lewisburg, Pennsylvania is a very small town. So there wasn't a lot of temptation outside of eating and like going to school, basically. <laughs> okay. And so, so you graduate from Bucknell and you've got $100,000 in debt. What, what happens next? What's, how does your financial journey progress from there? Yeah. 
So once I, I learned of that that payment, so that that thousand dollars. So basically, we tell this to all of our clients: for every ten thousand dollars in debt that you take on, it's about a hundred dollars a month, you know, after school. And so once I learned that, I immediately stopped studying for the LSAT, and I started going to networking nights. So Bucknell, being a small liberal arts school, had a great alumni network, and so I went and and I realized that. I needed to find a job that was going to pay me the highest salary going out of school if I wanted to live in New York City and kind of do the things that I wanted to do. And so outside of law school, what I wanted to do was live in New York and kind of experience like the Carrie Bradshaw dream. So I went to the Bucknell Networking Nights for Finance, knowing that finance at that time, so again, it was 2006, right before the crash of 2008. And so that there were plentiful uh, finance jobs. And so I went there being a poli sci and Spanish double major, not knowing anything about business and just going out and saying, you know, are there any companies that any sort of Wall Street firms that would hire someone like me? And so I did find one. So back in that time, there were, you know, there were the traditional trading shops. There were also the investment banks, but there were also asset managers at that networking night. And so I found a firm that uh, sold mutual funds to financial advisors. And they didn't require any sort of business background. They just wanted to make sure that you could make dials and make friends. So I found that job and and I actually was the individual that was hired out of Bucknell for that firm. Awesome. Okay. So so you get hired out of Bucknell for this firm. And how does your 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 money story progress there? Are you able to begin making a dent on that, that student loan debt? Or how do you begin managing your money? I would say that I, I'm very honest about my money journey. The 20s, by the time I was 30, I was able, I paid off all my student loan debt and I bought a house in Los Angeles. So at the very end, it was great. <laughs> but throughout that, um, I, again, I know we talk about money mistakes later on. We'll, I'll, I'll be happy to share that. But I had no idea what credit card debt was, right? And so for the first, you know, right after school, I got this job where I had income all of a sudden. And so you get credit card offers. And those credit card offers say, you get this X amount of credit limit and go ahead and apply. So I applied for a couple. And six months into my my stint in New York City, living the high life, buying cupcakes and and buying shoes, (laughs) I I literally had racked up like $15,000 of debt. Had you paid off any of your student loan debts? Were you just paying the minimums on those or were you... I was paying the $1,000 a month at that point. Okay. Yeah. So this the the credit card debt all of a sudden became this like looming thing, and for the first few years, because I was working on a um, on a kind of like a bonus uh, structure, so I had traditional salary, and then every quarter I'd get a bonus. What I started doing was I'd start paying off my credit card debt with every bonus, right? But then the cycle would start over again because I never learned <laughs> that you should pay off credit card debt after every month, you know. And so um, this was this was a cycle for me for five years until I really started thinking about my future and what I wanted out of my future. So it sounds like you, from that point to now, have done some sort of financial education, self-education. Where did you start learning about finances? Because like you said, you didn't really know about them growing up. Like that's not taught. How did you start self-educating? I would say that I, I was never taught about finances as a child. My parents still mismanage their finances despite my my heavy hand. <laughs> um, but for me, it it came through reading books. And I actually, and it's not like, you know, a lot of people say rich dad, poor dad, those kind of books. I read a book called Seven Stages of Money Maturity. Ooh. And this is a book by my ment- my now mentor, George Kinder. And the book was not about dollars and cents and managing finances. Rather, it was about truly deeply thinking about what you want out of life. And I found that in my late 20s, when I started thinking about what I wanted out of life, and for me, that was because of the burden that homelessness had placed on my shoulders from a very early age, I wanted to buy a home. And learning that that was my deepest need at that time, I had to get there as quickly as possible. And so that's when I started learning 
the dollars and cents and the, what I call a mindful spend, creating a mindful spending plan and learning personal finance basics because I knew what I wanted. I think that's awesome. I, you know, when you, when you think about like that, that is really the catalyst behind all of this. It's all about what do you want out of life and are you working towards that? And it's amazing how many people do not do that simple exercise. Yeah. And that is the root of their money problems because once you're like, oh, here's what I want in life. Okay. Now it becomes very clear how I need to use money to, as a tool to create that future reality, whether that's exactly. you want to be working this job or climbing the corporate ladder, whether that's you want to buy a home, you know, as simple as that, or whether that's you want to be financially free and traveling the world like Bryce and Christie from Millennial Revolution or whatever, you know, that's the, it, it's whatever you, however you go about setting that up. So I think it's fantastic. You started with that. When did you read that book and make those choices about, or, or, or come to that understanding? I read that book in fits and starts towards my late twenties. Okay. And, and then, then I read it again fully in my early thirties. Yeah. What was your, what was the, the turning point then? Do you, do you have like a moment in time and a shift in your behavior in terms of spending and an income generation and money management that you can point to? I would say that it was actually like right about when I was like the, like 29, it was so, so I was actually, so I got my dream job, my first iteration of my dream job at 24. So after two years of kind of, you know, I was, I was dialing for dollars for two years. I made a hundred dials a day. I was in the office at 6am out of the office by 7pm. Just like I learned how to talk to anyone and everyone. And so I did that for two years. And after that time, I had built enough human capital that I was able to go out and interview for jobs where they were, they were accepting people with five to 10 years plus of experience. But I built that experience through that two years of hard work. So I got that job that I wanted covering Los Angeles and Hawaii. And that's the job that I stayed in for 10 years. And so for that 10 year period, I would be getting massive amounts of checks, you know, in terms of, of bonus checks. And again, the first couple of years, it was so silly. I mean, again, biggest money regret, right? Like not, not doing anything with that money. But it really around my, my late 20s, when I started reading about the seven stages of money maturity, I realized I wanted to buy a home. And so it really came, I, you know, I, I remember because my birthday's on November 15th. And that was the day every year that I'd get my biggest bonus check. And so it was basically my 29th birthday when I got that big bonus check. And I was like, I'm not going to spend this money. <laughs> I am going to put this away in a savings account so that I can put a down payment on a house next year. And so I bought, I bought my first home at, at the age of 30. A couple questions here. One is, what was this job that you're working at for 10 years covering Hawaii and California? Uh, it's called a wholesaler. So it's a mutual fund wholesaler. So okay, it's, so you're selling you're selling mutual funds to uh, financial advisors who right. operate out of those states. Okay. Yes. Awesome. And so, uh, what? And then when you say ma massive amounts of checks, what what were these things going towards in terms of spending? Do you remember that the specifics? Oh, yeah. of what, what you're yeah, spending in, the very in my twenties, it was paying off credit card debt. So it was still that kind of rat race of I accrued the debt for a quarter, and then I'd pay it off in one big chunk. Um, and what it went to, I mean, cars, clothes, <laughs> uh, nice dinners out, treating Shoes, my cupcakes. friends. Yeah, treating treating my friends to a lot of things. Being, you know, I, there is, you know, that I am a very generous person, and so I saw a lot of my friends struggling, making, you know, fifty grand a year, and I was making a lot more than that, and so I, you know, take them out to fancy dinners, that kind of thing. Okay, and then. At 29, when you had that first one, you're like, this time I'm not spending it. Where did you put it? How did you begin managing your money differently from that point? And so this was just a savings account. I just put the money into a savings account that I couldn't see every day. And I mean, again, I was in asset management. And that's the kind of the big thing that I try to tell people. I was already at this point, I'd been working for even like six years on Wall Street. And I still didn't know anything about brokerage accounts or about, you know, I, I maxed out my retirement every year. That's what I did, which I'm very glad that I did, but I didn't know how else to maximize my money. But also knowing that I wanted to buy a house in quick order within a year, 
I wanted to, the plan was basically to collect all of my bonuses to put a down payment on a house uh, the, the year after. Okay. So I, again, I, we, we just had a, a good talk and we had a great discussion about how, um, you know, it's just like amazing how smart people who work in the finance world or are, you know, heavily involved in math, engineers, these types of folks, sometimes just completely miss the basics of personal finance and, and money management here. So yeah. it's just kind of like, I, 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 like, it's amazing to me that that happens. It, you know, so, so don't, if you're listening to this, don't feel bad if you've... Please you, don't you feel bad. ...haven't thought about these things in your life because like even folks who work in the industry specifically about wealth management, selling the products that, you know, that, that to invest in to build this wealth, sometimes don't put two and two together for years in a row. Even though they're smart, making great incomes, those types of things, clearly solving problems in the market. I don't know. It's just like an interesting paradox that we get, uh, that we hear about frequently. It's also because it's also, as I learned uh, in my 30s, that there are very different segments of finance. People think of finance as one big black box. But, you know, in fact, like investment bankers, I've seen them blow huge bonus checks, right? Because again, they don't know the basics of personal finance or they're not masters of personal finance. They're masters in taking their own risks in a, in a specific type of portfolio. So there's investment banking, there's asset management, which is what I was in, which is managing other people's money for different types of, of risk. But then personal finance, I mean, that's why certified financial planners exist, right? Is because we as CFPs are uniquely trained to figure out people's personal financial lives and put the puzzle pieces together. Yeah. So it, it sounds like um, we're at the point in your story at, at 29 where you're not quite a master yet, but you're learning some lessons and beginning to put some things together. Is that is that right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, let's, before, let's... before oh, she beats herself up too much, I've heard some pretty good gems here. I heard her in college say, unfortunately, and I don't agree with you, I think it's fortunately, you said, unfortunately, I looked up the cost of law school. There are people who go to law school without looking that up and incur all of those debts without perhaps having the passion to do this um, full time. Like I went to school for fashion design. I have said multiple times that that was not the correct choice for me. Um, And you knew that it was $1,000 a month student loan payment. Other people are just like, bah, whatever, I'll figure out how to pay for it later. So don't beat yourself up too much. You are also maxing out your retirement plans. That's a good thing. There's a lot of people making your money paycheck to paycheck, blowing every dime of it and not having enough money. I don't have enough money to save for retirement. Yeah, you do. If you're making this big, big, big money, just because you're living paycheck to paycheck doesn't mean that you don't have enough to save for retirement. You're just choosing not to. So you're still doing a lot of really good things. Christina's, Thank you, Mindy. Christina's <laughs> killing it. <laughs> no, so, but, you know, and, and, and just so you know, I mean, I say, like, I talk about the underbelly of my story for a purpose, right? I mean, I, again, it's, I, I do this because I want people to know, Scott, just as you said, if you're listening to this, everyone makes money mistakes. And especially because money has had been such a taboo topic and in many, in many families still is to talk about and educate people about. And so this is something that I'm so passionate about today. And I think we're going to go go through this in terms of my evolution. But the 30s, that, that 30th year was really the turning point. Nice. So what happens in that 30th year? Oh, man. What happened in the 30th year? Besides being broken up with um, and, and just realizing, wow, like I'm, I'm, I'm just a whole different person. I went through a complete evolution. So, you know, I was, I was broken up with on my 30th birthday and uh, my heart was broken. We'd been together for, for several years. And I just, I kind of, I went down into the deep hole that is sadness that I believe everyone should experience because that's when the greatest ahas in life happen. And, and I realized I need to do something about my, my life what am I doing in my life? And, and I realized that selling mutual funds to financial advisors was not what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Um, there's, there's many reasons we can talk about just on a technical side about mutual funds versus exchange traded funds. But 
really for me, it was just, I, I wanted to help people. I wanted to help individuals and, and really gain that path in life that I was starting to find for myself. And so I put myself on a path to do a couple of things. Number one was to get my CFP designation, Certified Financial Planning Designation. I knew that is the gold standard for personal financial planning. And so if you ever work with an advisor, I always say like, it has to be a CFP. Um, so I, I put myself through that because what would take what it would take was a couple of years of work um, studying while working full time at my same job. Um, then I had to go pass of that rigorous test that is the CFP exam. Um, and then I also simultaneously wanted to become a registered life planner, which is a designation. It's a subset of the CFP community that are, are really trained by George Kinder's Kinder Institute of Life Planning, meaning that I'm uniquely trained to really understand people's most important values and aspirations in life and connect it with their money. And so I went through the, from 30 to 35 was really my education while working full time. During that period, which you know, I think I think it's a great you know painful but a uh, great way to to kind of figure out your your vision for your life. Basically, there, what were you? How are you handling your money during that period as you kind of were were educating and moving towards that that vision? I was saving money every single month, so my I I wanted to have a year and a half of living expenses because I also knew that by the end of my training, I'd be quitting my job and launching a firm. And so I knew that I needed at least a year's worth of runway and more because I also wanted to save for my wedding. So I became a master of squirreling money away in different pots <laughs> and giving each different pot a job description. So for the longer money, the money that I'd be pulling three to four to five years out went into a taxable brokerage account. And for the money that I would be spending within a year, I kept it in a high yield savings account. What was your kind of monthly spending, would you say, prior to this shift in thinking? And what did it kind of get <laughs> whittled down to afterwards? Oh, highly variable is the answer to the first one. <laughs> I, I remember looking at, I mean, I, it's, it's embarrassing to say, I'm going to say it though, because I think we should all talk about it. I mean, it, it went 13 to 20 grand as a single person in Los Angeles. And and that was on cars, restaurants, treating friends, those kinds of things. Buying clothes, yeah, yeah. And what were you able to whittle it down to over those five years in terms of monthly spend? Seven, seven thousand. Okay, yeah. And did that process of whittling it down from thirteen to twenty grand to seven did that happen overnight or was that a gradual process? Absolutely not. Yeah, it was a gradual process, and 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 whittling it down even today. I mean, my business partner and I, we. Every single month, you know, we kind of just check in with each other, like, how do you do last month? Right. I mean, that we call we call these with our partners our money dates. And so it's a continuous process because life is continuously changing. To say that you're gonna spend seven grand every month for the rest of your life is just un unrealistic. But you know, through that time of whittling it down, it, it became just it's all about mindfulness and understanding, okay, so what did I spend my money on? What of these, this excess brought me joy and what didn't? And then the next month, what I tried to do was eliminate the things that didn't truly bring me joy. So clothes were one of the first things that went out the door. <laughs> and then I slowly, you know, gave up taking all my friends to restaurants all the time. <laughs> yeah. Split the check. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's fantastic. So was all of the cash you began to accumulate going into like investments or, you know, you said, you said you're building up 18 months of runway. Was it really just kind of mostly cash accumulation in, in after-tax savings accounts and brokerage accounts, or was there other yeah. investing going on as well? Yeah, no, it's it ETFs. I, I wanted to put it into liquid tax efficient vehicles so that I could take it out whenever I needed it. Okay, great. I want to clarify what an ETF is, or I want you to clarify what an ETF is, because we hear that that word bandied about, or those, I guess it's an acronym, bandied about, but I don't think we've really discussed it. Well, maybe on the Chelsea Brennan show, but uh, happy to talk about it. We can we can talk about it very quickly. So you'll you'll typically hear two types of like investment vehicles. It 
ETF, which stands for an exchange traded fund and a mutual fund. And so both of those are what you call pooled investment vehicles. And so a mutual fund, the way that you think about a mutual fund is there's basically some person who runs that mutual fund. So it's an it's a expert who goes and picks a pool of stocks and or bonds and or a mixture of both. And you buy shares into that investment vehicle. An exchange traded fund is not professionally managed by a person. Instead, it's modeled after an exchange. So there are exchange traded funds for a lot of different things, but the most popular is the S&P 500. So when you own an an exchange traded fund for an S&P 500 ETF, you own portions of that uh, of the 500 stocks in the S&P 500. Yeah, so you know, and an ETF can mean a lot of things as well, right? So you know, when I say I invest in index funds for example, what I'm really doing is I'm using I you know, I, I invest in index funds through my retirement account, but most of my excess cash is placed in after-tax brokerage vehicles and I'm buying a S&P 500 ETF from Vanguard, right? For for okay. example, and that's that's kind of like that's one way of investing in ETFs. There's a bajillion ETFs out there, and it sounded like you chose something that you said was tax efficient. What does that mean to you? I could do a whole podcast on this. I just wrote a very lengthy blog post on it. So um, mutual funds and exchange traded funds are taxed very differently because mutual funds, the industry that I know so dearly because I worked on it in it for over a decade they tend to be more tax inefficient because they have to pay out their capital gains at the end of every year. And those capital gains, whether you own the fund for the entire year or for a portion of the year, you have to pay those capital gains. Exchange-traded funds, they, they don't, because you can buy and sell so quickly, they are much more liquid and they're more tax efficient for you. So they have, you know, I'd probably say a quarter of the capital gains payout at the end of the year, if anything. Okay. Compared to a mutual fund. Great. So so you're really getting control of your spending and socking away cash, both in the form of uh, savings accounts and these ETFs. And then uh, over this five-year period, getting ready for this next career. What, what happens next? So it was... I mean, the dreaming part was the most fun part. Um, I did a lot of, you know, the registered life planning training that I went to was a five-day retreat in Hana, Maui. And it was at George Kinder's home where, where we, we essentially spent five days being trained, but also being planned. And it was all about this two-year transition from 2015 to 2018, actually, when I would be leaving the only job that I really knew, you know, as a, as an adult human being and jettisoning myself into a whole new career as a registered investment advisor and a firm owner. And so that five day retreat was really the, the beginning point of how it was all going to play out. And in that time as well, I, I found the love of my life. I got married. And so all of that happened within a very short amount of time. And so um, just on the money side, so I, I saved up enough money so I didn't have to be paid in that first year of firm, firm ownership. And I also saved up enough to pay for my own wedding in Mexico. Awesome. Wait, you didn't take out loans to pay for your wedding? No loans. <laughs> Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. 
Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers an 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split with 70% of profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, get paid first. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of the physical asset provide additional security in case of borrower default. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by redirecting your funds from Wall Street to Main Street, supporting local economies, and generating profits simultaneously. This investment is reserved for accredited investors, but if you are not accredited, Pine Financial has options for you too. Don't miss this opportunity to back Main Street over Wall Street and start earning passive real estate income. Learn more about investing with Pine at pinefinancialgroup.com BP. That's pinefinancialgroup.com BP. Deciding how to invest your capital can be extremely challenging, especially when the market is constantly changing. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company that has a great track record. The BAM Capital executive team has successfully navigated through the Great Recession, COVID-19, and the current interest rate environment while delivering maximized returns to their partners. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator with over $1.3 billion in transactions, delivering a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has consistently paid preferred return distributions for over 50 consecutive months, has not lost limited partners capital, and has not called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital's disciplined investment strategy is targeting undermanaged institutional quality trophy assets throughout the U.S. heartland for accredited investors who are looking for generational wealth building or monthly income opportunities. Their offerings target cash flow stability, capital preservation, long-term appreciation, and accelerated tax benefits. Join BAM Capital's over 1,200 investors across 44 states and get started today at BAMCapital.com. Again, that's BAMCapital.com. So as, as a business owner with this, how, how did that first year go? Were you able, you know, were you able to, to begin generating income and get the business off the ground? Or what, did it take a few years? Or how, how did that look? So we're, we're about two and a half years in now. Mm-hmm. So you're still speaking to me at the, the beginning stages. But uh, we, we generated income very quickly. It was just a matter of how we, what we did with that income. So we decided purposefully not to pay ourselves so that we could really build the firm. Um, and so as of today, we have about 80 clients. And again, we started from zero. So a lot of financial advisors that, that start their businesses anew, they transfer from, let's say, a, a big brokerage house, like a Wells Fargo, a Merrill Lynch, and Morgan Stanley, and they move to their own independent firm, they bring their clients with them, which enables them to, to have recurring revenue right away. But we didn't. So we were able to bring on 80 clients over the past two and a half years. Not a lot of sleep, but uh, we, we, uh, at the beginning of this year, we, paid our, we started paying ourselves and we're making a living wage. Well, that's All fantastic. Right. And where are you living now? Still living in the house that I bought in 2014. Okay, awesome. 
So yeah. what what's um so now you have a, a living wage here. Um what's next? What's the future look like for you? What's your what's what's gonna happen over the next couple of years and how are you gonna um be managing your assets there? Awesome question. I just did this visioning exercise last night instead of watching the election. <laughs> <laughs> and so I mean it, like the key the key features of my vision for the next few years. In five years, I want to be, you know, one of the the pioneers in financial life planning. So our our firm's called Mana Financial Life Design, and it's truly, you know, Scott, as you said, it we, we we start with what do you want out of life, and so there's so many advisors. I'd say 99% of financial advisors don't start conversations that way. So I want to be a, a leader and a pioneer in the space where that's how financial advisors begin conversations with their clients. We want to be a, a boutique firm, so we don't want to serve, you know thousands of people in terms of clients, but we want to serve a, you know, a, a, I'd probably say a few hundred with about 20 employees and really build a firm that's all about achieving people's highest vision in their life. And then in terms of personal life, I'm also seven months pregnant. So I tend to do everything all at once. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, my my husband and I hope to keep this house as a rental property because we are two blocks from the beach here in LA, and uh, stuff is building up all over around us. Um, but we we actually want to move closer to his family in Pasadena and start kind of having a you know a little bit more of a suburban lifestyle. How do you think about managing the your assets as part of this? So I'll, I'll tell you also in terms of, of books I've been reading lately, I've been you know kind of validated by some of that. I'm a boring investor. I ju- I believe in having my real estate as in hard hard assets, and then having a portfolio of retirement assets, qualified assets, as well as taxable assets. And on the taxable side, again, like a broad range of ETFs. I want municipal bonds in there, you know, because we live in a very high tax state of California. And I want that to work for me consistently over time. I'm not a big risk taker, um, though, you know, a lot of our, the clients that we work with, they, they have a portion of their wealth in their company stock, for example, right? I like spreading everything out and I just want the highest probability to reach my highest goals. And how you do that is you stay diversified. You don't pay a lot of fees and you minimize taxes. Okay. I got to jump in here and say, Christina is a CFP saying that she is a boring investor. And I think that is so powerful because having all of these exciting investments leads to a lot of sleepless nights. Everybody that we interview who is successful in their investment strategy is Boring. And that's the best. Boring is the best. You said diversification. Love that. You said bonds. I don't really like bonds, but we'll agree to disagree. We're in different places in our lives right now. And I... I only have 10% bonds. Okay. okay. As as the brakes to my gas pedal. Don't worry. (laughs) I just don't love bonds. And I we should really bring somebody on who can talk intelligently about bonds because I I know that I can't speak intelligently about them. I just know that they don't make a lot of money. So I want to make a lot of money in my investments. But I love that you don't like risk. Nobody wants to lose their money. Be boring in your investments. Stay the course. Put in, you know, on a consistent basis and just set it and forget it. Are you actively trading a lot of your ETFs or do you kind of just throw it in there and, and you're done? So so to be clear, there is risk in stock, stock market investing. Yes, just, yes. Just I'm so sorry. You know. Past performance is not indicative <laughs> of future gain. Um, but, but again, the way that I think about it, it's again, it's the law of averages, right? So with a high yield savings account today, what are you making? 0.7%? If you're lucky. Right? Like maybe. When we run long-term projections, you know, the stock market on average on average, a year is like 7% going back in time, right? 7% annualized. If I can do 6.5% a year, my financial plan works until I'm 90 years old. I'm good with that. 
that's kind of what I'm looking for, right? Is, is, you know, anywhere from five and a half to six and a half percent, anything above that is gravy. And sorry, what did you ask me? Wendy? I, I just wanted to, I got in that. <laughs> Got on a little bit. No, of a, I was I was complimenting you on your boring strategy because I think that's the best way to go. It's, you know, I see a lot of people talking about, you know, oh, I got this great stock tip. Hey, put a dollar in it, you know, see what a dollar does, but don't put everything in this hot stock tip. Just because you have a hot stock tip doesn't mean it's going to pan out. I mean, have you ever had a hot stock tip that all of a sudden flopped? Yeah, lots yeah. of people have. And we, and we have a lot of clients that actually love, you know, studying the stock market and, and making big bets. So what we tell them is 10% of your net worth, no more than 10% of your net worth can go to that, what we call like the Robin Hood bucket. You get to do that. We'll take care of the serious money, the widows and orphans money, we call it. <laughs> we need to make sure that we take care of that. Well, you, you, can, you can have fun with 10% of your net worth. Okay, you just said two things that were very important. You said, I have clients who like to study the stock market. They don't just get some weird whim, hot stock tip. And you said they make bets. That is when you are getting off on a wild hair, it can be a bet. And 10% of your total net worth is not the same as throwing it all in on red. So I just, I love that. So I just want to, I just want to reiterate that part. Thank you. People who come to the place where, oh, I need to get my finances in order, always seem to feel like what they're doing isn't right, or I should have known this and I'm so embarrassed that I don't. And you said it so perfectly. Everybody makes money mistakes. Every single person makes the money mistakes, even me, even Scott. Uh, Scott. Sorry, I'm trying. I'm not trying not to laugh. Scott didn't want to participate in credit card hacking because he got like two percent cash back on his credit card or something, and now he makes significantly more by just yeah, opening up credit, credit cards for the, yeah. for the bonuses and and things like that. Um, Love it. <laughs> but that's still. I mean, that's a that's a great money mistake to have. Oh, I just didn't take advantage of something. But you know, there's lots of people. Everybody makes money mistakes, and to hear from somebody who is in the space now, who also made money mistakes and learned from them, is so powerful. It, it helps people really figure out that you know I'm not doing such a bad job. At least I'm paying attention to my finances. I mean, we, yeah, we do this with our clients all the time because they think that we're some wise. I'm, not, I'm like, I'm, I'm like 36 years old. You know, I'm still figuring this out. You know, <laughs> but, but I, I happen to read a lot. I, I, I surround myself with very smart people. Um, you know, we're, we're all going to make mistakes, but what we can do is make make the most educated decisions based on what we know. And because we spend all day, every day, living and breathing in this space, we can help you make the most educated decisions. The one thing I was just going to say was, um, and I can weave this into the, the famous four or whatever. So um, the idea of financial confidence, because I think that's kind of what Mindy's getting at is the idea, like I say that financial confidence is more important than financial literacy. And that's especially what women lack is financial confidence. That's why so many, you know, it's like 50, I, I posted something about a UBS study that just came out in July that 54% of millennial women say that, that, that live with a partner, defer their decisions, their financial planning decisions to their husbands. And that's millennial women. And so like this, like we're here to say that financial confidence is what is the most important thing to, to truly embody because financial confidence will give you the ability to go out and research and find the resources versus thinking you, you need to do it all yourself. What is financial confidence? How do you define it? I think it's the innate knowing that you don't need to know everything. Oh, then I don't have financial confidence. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know everything. How do you get financial confidence? I am starting to realize that. I think it's the journey that we're all talking about here. It's, it's the revisiting your past and understanding that everyone makes mistakes and that you too have made mistakes, but instead of criticizing yourself for it, learning from it and saying, what else can I do? What's the best next step? 
And so for a lot of people, the best next step is to find an expert that they can trust, right? And sometimes it's finding a, a podcast they can trust or finding a blog that they can trust, right? It doesn't matter which, you know, what, where on the spectrum the services lie, but, but truly being able to understand that there are resources out there that can aid them on, on their journey instead of having to do it all themselves. I love that. I love that. Yeah, you... If you're going to do it all yourself, you should be prepared to do a lot of research. And some people love that. My husband is crazy about research. I'm sick of hearing about Tesla. I'm sick of hearing about like all of his favorite things. That sounds mean. I'm sick of hearing about all his favorite things, but seriously, he <laughs> talks about Tesla like every single day. Oh, do you want to watch self-driving car videos? No, not even a little bit. <laughs> We're good. Yeah. Yeah. I've, seen, I've seen cars drive all the time. It doesn't matter to me who's driving behind the wheel, but he is confident in his research. He loves doing the research. If you want to, you know, do all of this stock picking and, you know, if you really want to do this all by yourself, you have to be prepared to embrace the research or be prepared to embrace losing a lot of money. Well, and, and so let's let's add one more part of that definition of financial confidence then. So the financial confidence to talk about money. Love that. Oh, I love that. Yes. And have the financial confidence to talk about money and not be ashamed. Everybody has made money mistakes. Come in our Facebook group and talk about your money mistakes. Share what you've learned from your money mistakes because you know that's kind of the whole reason the bigger pockets exists because we want to share with people how to invest in real estate, more specifically real estate, but how to invest in real estate. And you don't need to learn all of these mistakes from the school of hard knocks. Learn from me. Learn from what I did wrong in my last flip. Learn from what I did wrong when I screened my tenants. Learn that, you know, this is a really good indicator that this person is going to be a terrible tenant and then don't rent to that person. Or learn that this is a really good indicator that this person is going to be a great tenant and pursue people who fit that need. You don't need to learn all of this from scratch. Learn from other people's mistakes. Talk about money. I'll get off my soapbox now. But yes, I love that. Okay, well, I think this has been super fantastic. Christina, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us, but we're not done. We want to look into your, we've kind of talked about your uh, your investments. You've got a little bit in real estate. Well, and I live then, in LA, so it's a lot of bit in real, well, <laughs> real estate. <laughs> and you bought six years ago, so you have a lot, a lot of bit in real estate. Yeah. Um, and then you've got ETFs and... Uh, retirement accounts. And retire- retirement accounts are also invested in, in ETFs. Okay. Shout out to, to my business partner who actually manages my money because I, you know, she, she's the CFA and she, we run an impact portfolio. And so, so we actually eliminate fossil fuels, uh, which this year has been amazing for our portfolio, as well as promote gender equity in our, in our MANA's impact portfolio. So all of my additional uh, retirement assets are in our impact portfolios. Okay. And then currently, in terms of annual spending, how much do you keep on hand? Like in months, I'm not looking for a dollar amount. Uh, in months, six months okay. for my husband and I. Yeah. Okay. And he has a full time job. He's also a business owner. Okay. So we've, yeah. Um, so full time, yes, but also, you know, it's, it's kind of that freelance. LA lifestyle. <laughs> and how, how much cash do you keep on hand for your business in terms of month? So that's a little bit more of a complicated, uh, a complicated thing because we also have investors that we're going to be paying off next year. So we have much more than we typically keep. But for us, it's, it's a year of like operating in terms of cash. But we're also, you know, in, in the we have a little bit more cash than that right now at this moment because we are planning to pay down the investors to gain more equity in our business. Okay. Great. Well, I think that we have covered everything about your story. Would you like to share anything else before we move on to the famous four? I think we've covered it. Thank you both. Okay. It's time for the famous four. These are the same four questions we ask of all of our guests. Christina, are you ready? So ready. What is your favorite finance book? I think I know. Well, so I, because I already gave a nod to to my mentor, George Kinder, 
I'm going to throw a new one in there. Oh, because okay. this book just came out. And I'm literally obsessed. And Mindy, I know that you subscribe to our newsletter, so you probably saw my homage to it. Um, but Morgan Housel's Psychology of Money. Yes, yes, yes. I it's need to get so Morgan good. on the show. That book is Please amazing. get Morgan on the show. Oh my gosh, love. I haven't that read it all, to check it out. Oh my goodness, Scott, it is amazing. You know, so I came into the personal finance space in like 2013. And at that time, you already had your money or your life and the richest man, the millionaire next door and the richest man in Babylon and like all of the, the, uh, like the core books. And when I was reading Morgan Housel's Psychology of Money, I'm looking through and I'm like, this is one of those books that's going to become the mm-hmm. core personal finance books. And it's like, I'm excited that I'm I'm able to read it when it came out as opposed to like, oh, it's 10 years old. I already know everything right. in there. Like, it's so, oh, it's such a good book. I'm sorry. I'm going on That's and on awesome. about I look it. Forward but it's to like, reading it. it's a really awesome book. Morgan, hit me up. <laughs> okay. What was your biggest money mistake? <laughs> so the biggest money mistake, I'd, I'd say it's it's, what we were talking about in my twenties, spending a lot of what I made, right? And, and not thinking forward to what I wanted in the future. And not just, you know, three years in the future, but five years in the future, 10 years in the future. So if I could do it all over again, which I can't, that's what I would do. But I would just urge, I, I hope this, that money mistake teaches everyone that you should dare to dream and think about what you want in the future and then construct a, uh, an elegant structure to managing your money around that dream. Awesome. I love that. Well, that kind of tags into the next question. What is your best piece of advice for people who are just starting out? You should save. <laughs> uh, so, you know, if you're just starting out, max out retirement. I mean, we've started coming up with just kind of just one-liners that, that help people. But if you spend more than $100,000 a year, you're going to need to save more than the max retirement contribution, which this year is $19,500. So, you know, Scott, it sounds like your listeners know how much they spend each month, which is amazing. A lot of our clients, when they first come, have no idea. So understand how much you spend spend each month. And if it's more than $100,000, you need to at least max out your 401k. And if you're a solopreneur, if you own your own business, don't just contribute to an IRA. Look into a solo 401k or or different retirement accounts that are specifically designed for people who own their own businesses. Yeah, I'll I'll go a step beyond that and and say if you spend if you spend $100,000 per year and you buy into that 4% rule um, thing that we've been talking about at all. That means you're going to have to accumulate $2.5 million in order to withdraw 4% of that $100,000 per year on a regular basis. And remember, that's only a 30-year retirement. Yeah. So so if you if you retire earlier, that 4% rule doesn't even make well, sense. We, well, we've had a lot of discussions about that. And I'll politely okay. disagree <laughs> with that. that the, I think the 4% rule is appropriate for, for the early retiree, but but there's there's a lot of different things going on with that. And, and you have a 96 you know. Anyways, we, we go on with that. But if... The point is, if you can drop that to fifty thousand dollars per year, now you only need one. Now you're accumulating fifty thousand dollars more per year that after tax that you can then because your hundred thousand dollars is spending after tax for most of us, right? That, that's if you're doing that math. Now I'm accumulating fifty thousand dollars more after tax, and I only need one point two five million. Am I doing that math right? Yeah, one point about one one point two five million to sustain that indefinitely, right? So that um, that spending, if you track your spending and can get it down, it increases the amount that you're accumulating and reduces the amount that you're going to need downstream. And look, you can always go back and once you've reached that one point, you know that financial freedom number or whatever it is, then begin layering back in items to your lifestyle as you're wealth continues to grow and you read, you know, hey, I've got $2 million in wealth. I only spend $50,000 a year. Now I can bump that spending up to $60,000, $70,000 a year. And I'm still in this state of perpetual freedom, with those types of things. So um, love that concept of the, the hey, no, track your spending, know how much it's going to be and understand how that's go- how you're going to have, how that's going to have big mathematical implications on your ability to retire. Mm-hmm. 
All right. What is your favorite joke to tell at parties? I'm not a funny person. Um, <laughs> I have a joke that had me howling the other day. That is the dumbest joke, but I'm just going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> what did the zero say to the eight? I don't know. Nice belt. Ah, <laughs> that's a great. Yeah, I love you, you've that got joke. our number. That's great. That's <laughs> <laughs> and it's a number joke. <laughs> okay, Christina, tell people where they can find out more about you. So we are, we have a website, mana, M A N A F L D dot com. And we have the same tag on Instagram, Mana FLD. Those are the two places we, we spend most of our time on the internet. So we run a blog um, on our website. Um, and on the once you get to the blog page, you, you can subscribe to our biweekly newsletter. That's fantastic. Right. Yeah, I subscribe to your biweekly newsletter and I really like it. There's a lot of great information in there. Um, Christina, thank you so much for your time today. I think this is going to be hugely helpful for people from a variety of different uh, viewpoints. First of all, you made mistakes and you're still doing great. You know what you're doing and you still made mistakes. Like, like it's okay to make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. I think a lot of people are like, oh, it's too late for me. It's not too late for you. It's never too late for you. You can do it too. Just be financially conscious. Okay. Uh, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank, thank you, you very we'll much, Christina. Bye. Okay. That was Christina Livideri. Scott, what did you think? Uh, I think it was great. I think there's a lot of really good lessons to be learned here. I think that, um, you know, it, it, there's, I, it, in working with with a lot of folks that come from, you know, I, and, and I think it's fair to say she did, a disadvantaged background, you know, being homeless uh, as, as, a, as a young child and those types of things. You know, it can be difficult in some cases for some personal finance lessons to come through. And what I mean by that is that sometimes when folks get money um, for the first time, their first inclination is to spend it before they lose it or to treat their friends who have always been there for them and helping them out through the tough times in their local community or those types of things. And you wonder if that's kind of like something that's difficult to break out of in some ways. Yeah. And, and sometimes I think it can be difficult to break out of that mentality over time. It sounds like what really happened for Christina today was she had that real reckoning on her 30th birthday, that crazy milestone of, you know, where her heart was broken, all those things changed. And that was when she really began to, you know, say, look, I'm going to, I'm going to take care of myself and, and bring financial discipline and get my vision and life goals very clear and begin working towards those with a discipline, you know, discipline and rigor. And it's been amazing to see the progress that she's been able to accomplish since that change in mindset, I think. Yeah. And I can see huge things for her future just because she is now confident about her finances. She is conscious about them and she is purposely striving towards the goal. She hit the goal of home ownership and now she's moving forward with other goals. And, you know, I just love that she wants to help people who are five years ago, Christina get to current Christina and beyond. Her giving spirit is super, super inspirational. Absolutely. Love it. Uh, the show notes, this never came up during the show today. The show notes for today's episode can be found at biggerpockets.com slash moneyshow150. And near the end of the show, Scott, we started talking, I started ranting, let's be honest, about talking about money we have a Facebook group that we would love for you to join to come in and speak with other frugal weirdos, other finance nerds, other people who are just like you and talk about the issues that you're facing with your finances. Talk about some of the wins, some of the things that you've learned. You can join our group at facebook.com slash groups slash BP money. Okay, Scott, should we get out of here? Let's do it. From episode 150, I can't believe, Scott, it's been 150 episodes. Yeah, thank you, everyone, for, for listening to us for 150 episodes. Yeah. So 
Wow, that's that's an amazing thing there. So here's it's the here's really to the cool. next hundred and fifty. Here's to the next five hundred and fifty episodes. Five hundred and fifty. That's right. From episode one hundred and fifty of the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, he is Scott Trench, and I am Mindy Jensen. Saying, "May the force be with you always." The market is changing, and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom, and the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into real estate investing or take it to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With the Bigger Pockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.